You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Women's Health, sponsored in part by Eli Lilly. Your host is Dr. Lisa Mazzullo, Assistant Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University Medical School, the Feinberg School of Medicine. Only 30,000 women of the estimated 250,000 women who are affected by BRCA1 and 2 positive tests have been tested. What is the challenge of genetic screening and how can we, as a team of doctors and genetic counselors, work on this? Welcome to Advances in Women's Health. Joining me today is Kathy Wicklin, Director of the Northwestern University Graduate Program Genetic Counseling and President of the National Society for Genetic Counselors. And she'll be helping us discuss how a genetic counselor can help, particularly in the realm of deciding to undergo bracket testing for patients. Kathy, welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. So we're going to talk a little bit about what is the role of the genetic counselor when we're trying to decide whether genetic testing is a good idea. The genetic counselor can serve multiple roles. It will kind of depend on what the patient or the consumer is looking for and also what the physician is looking for. Sometimes people will come to us because they're interested in genetic testing. They might have a family history of, for instance, breast ovarian cancer, and they're wondering whether or not they truly are at a higher risk to develop whatever they're concerned about. So a lot of what we do initially is do risk assessment, where we basically take a detailed family history, find out more about the family and their concerns, and then talk about whether or not they're truly at an increased risk and whether genetic testing would even give them the information that they are looking for. Do you find as a rule the patients are surprised at how much the risk really is when they do these family trees of history? It depends on how they come into the session. So it goes one or two ways. Some people come in really thinking their risk is very high, and that depends on their family history. And sometimes after we take a detailed history, we're actually able to tell them that it's much lower than what they anticipated to begin with. Vice versa, you know, some people can come in not as concerned, and then we have to tell them they're at a higher risk. So again, it's really what their perception of what their risk is before they even come into the session that then can affect, you know, is it, are they feeling relieved, mm-hmm. which they might be, and a lot of anxiety can be reduced, or, you know, unfortunately, do we increase their anxiety? Do you think most of the time patients self-refer to you, or are they referred by physician staff? say most of them are referred by their physician. I think some, it's hard to say, some people might go in and say, look, I would really like to see a genetic counselor to help me talk about this and decide whether or not I should pursue genetic testing. But I think a lot of physicians are very in tune to these sorts of issues. And if they see red flags or something going in the family history, they'll you know, refer to a genetic counselor at that point in time. You know, I think that physicians are very used to sending patients to genetic counselors for things related to prenatal diagnosis and certainly for problems that seem to be of Jewish carrier set. In your mind, what are the patients in general that should be referred to a genetic counselor for discussion of genetic testing? any of them that really are thinking about pursuing genetic testing and have questions that maybe the physician is not comfortable answering. You know, I think it's going to depend on the physician and their level of expertise in genetics. Some physicians feel very capable of answering some of these questions in dealing with the psychosocial issues where others are going to say, you know what, I feel better referring you on to a genetic counselor. So it kind of depends on the patient and have they made up their mind for sure? Are they in the decision-making process? We really try to work with each physician and meet them where they need us. You know, I think that that team effort of a genetic counselor and physician working together for a patient really is the key to success for patients making good decisions. And, you know, we're blessed at Northwestern and other university centers around the country where there are early detection programs, for example, in ovarian or breast cancer, where a genetic counselor is part of that team and people immediately get counseling for that. 
in the more community hospital-oriented areas where these may not be available, what criteria would you give physicians to say this particular patient should see a genetic counselor for cancer screening risk? Well, I think a good start for them sometimes is even to call the genetic counselors that are on staff at the laboratories who are doing genetic testing because they can actually, so for instance, there's laboratories, a lot of them will have a genetic counselor on staff. And that is really helpful because they can kind of call and say, look, this is a situation I've got here. Do you think I can go forward and order this test or do you think it's more, you know, complicated or needs more extensive counseling and a history and risk assessment for that where I would need to refer? So that's a really good first step. And it is hard because if you're in an area where the nearest genetic counselor might be a five-hour drive, you know, you have to think about the cases where you're going to have them drive five hours or also reaching out to the genetic counselors in those areas and do they provide telephone counseling. A lot of times there might be satellite clinics. I would say getting to know the genetic counselors closest to you and seeing what you can work out with them would really be the best way to go. How would you suggest people do that? One thing they can do is go to the National Society of Genetic Counselors website and that's nsgc.org, and you actually can put your zip code in there and find genetic counselors that are closest to you. So developing that relationship with your genetic counselor is really critical. And I, when I was practicing prenatal genetics, I had a lot of people call me. I was in Texas, and they're obviously a very large state with rural areas, and I had a lot of OBGYNs calling me, giving me the situation, and I would kind of work with them, and we would determine the next steps together. Well, I think that's all very excellent and helpful information. You know, I often wonder, should patients be sent to a genetic counselor before they're tested or after testing has come back positive? Yeah, you know, that's a tough one to answer. And I think it's tough because, again, it's really the accessibility of the genetic counselor. And I think one thing that we really have specific training in is helping people make decisions, you know, really in what's best for them and their values and culture. And so You know, I do think that's a critical piece because a lot of times people will go forward with testing, not truly understanding the limitations of the test or not knowing for sure what they're getting out of it. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes they regret it. You know, afterwards, they're like, I wish I would have never had this. I didn't realize it might not give me an answer. So, you know, it is helpful to be able to talk to somebody beforehand about all kind of the limitations and benefits of doing it before they go forward. But we know that's not always possible. And sometimes it is more after the fact. They've had it come back negative or positive, and then we talk to them about what that means. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Advances in Women's Health on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lisa Mazzullo, and Kathy Wicklin, the director of the Northwestern University Graduate Program in Genetic Counseling, is joining us today discussing the challenges of BRCA testing and the advantages of the genetic counselor in the treatment of these patients. Kathy, we were just talking about you know, the genetic counselor should be used both before and after testing, depending on physicians' comfort level and, to be honest, time that they have in their office to talk about these things. Can you tell us a little bit about what are the criteria that makes a genetic counselor, what kind of credentialing is occurring? Genetic counselors, most of them have graduated from an accredited master's training program. And so basically there are graduate programs that give a master's level genetic counseling degree. So they're specialized programs. And the coursework is kind of consists of like more epidemiology, molecular genetics, medical genetics, combined with the counseling part, with the psychosocial issues. And then they also do clinical rotations and a research project as well. It's almost like an apprenticeship. In a way, yeah, absolutely. Kind of similar to what like a medical student or resident is going to go through when they go on their clinical rotations. Now, after genetic counselors graduate from accredited program, they're eligible to sit for their board exams. So a certified genetic counselor is somebody who's actually been credentialed by the American Board of Genetic Counselors. 
and that means they've passed a board exam, they've met the competencies, and, you know, so it gives them a little bit more of a gold standard. So once a patient sees a genetic counselor, hopefully someone who's certified and, and experienced as we would expect them all to be, who actually pays for the genetic counseling? Really good question, and it does depend. It depends on the insurance. It depends on the reason someone's coming to see us. And there are some insurance plans that do cover genetic counseling, while others may not. And that can be frustrating for somebody who is interested in a genetic test. The genetic test might be covered by the insurance, but the genetic counseling is not. And that can be really hard for somebody who has a lot of questions, and they might have to pay out of pocket for the genetic counseling portion. And that could be a barrier, basically, to genetic testing. So the genetic counseling the cost of it depends upon the number of hours used for discussion? It can, and also the complexity of the situation itself. Do you find that insurance is more likely to cover prenatal genetic screening versus something like BRCA testing as a genetic discussion? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. I'm not aware of any data that really supports that. Sometimes it just really depends on the individual plan. You know, for instance, if they work for a certain company, what kind of things are covered, what kind of things aren't covered. The big issue is whether or not genetic counselors can even bill for their services within their own name or do they need to do it in conjunction with the physician. Mm-hmm. Right now, genetic counselors aren't recognized by Medicare and Medicaid services as providers of this service, which is really a critical issue because, again, it's another barrier for people not to be able to get to the people that they want to answer the questions that they have. Why do you think that's so? I think it's because it's a relatively new and young profession. It's been around since about 1970, but in the scheme of things and compared to other healthcare providers, it's still relatively young and new. So one thing that NSGC is doing is going to be introducing a bill into Congress that would amend the Social Security Act, getting genetic counselors as recognized healthcare providers to be able to independently bill for their services. That may reduce costs if people aren't paying for a physician and a counselor at the same time. That's true. And also, when you think about having a genetic counselor involved, it also may reduce costs in the sense of, is the right test actually being ordered? And, you know, is it really necessary or is it something that's going to be useful for people? Again, some people think that a test might give them certain information. And when they find out that it's really not going to give them what they want, they might choose not to have it, too. Mm-hmm. You know, there seems to be a lot of genetic legislation going on, both on discrimination issues as well as providing the right people to do the right job. Do you find that when you're talking to patients about genetic testing that you're dealing with this discrimination concern that they're worried about with insurance and and medical health in general? I think that it probably depends on the specialty that you're in. Certainly in the, you know, cancer specialty, people are concerned about this. And again, it's just that fear. You know, when you think about, you know, getting access, right? We want consumers and patients to be able to have access to good health care, to be able to make good health care decisions. And if they have a fear of discrimination, then it might, you know, make them not choose something because they're scared it could be used against them. And there are situations when actually having that information could really help them make medical, you know, decisions. So that fear is definitely out there. Mm -hmm. Do you think access is also somewhat dependent on the fact that there aren't enough genetic counselors to provide the kind of care we're talking about? You know, that is a tough one to answer, and I don't think we have good data one way or other. There has been a lot of discussion about a shortage of genetic counselors, and will there be a shortage of genetic counselors? And I think right now we are able to meet the needs. However, I do think we need to be proactive in thinking about how are we going to train more genetic counselors, because there's a lot of information out there, you know, with the genome being sequenced and all the direct-to-consumer campaigns that are going on. You know, I think we are going to have to think about how can we 
continue to train enough genetic counselors and other, you know, healthcare providers who specialize in genetics to meet these needs. The second piece we need to do also is to help physicians who aren't experts in genetics. How can we help them deal with this in their own practice? So I really see it as a two-prong approach helping physicians, meeting them where they need to be, but also ensuring that we have healthcare providers who are trained in genetics to be able to kind of deal with some of the issues that might be a little bit more complex. Special thanks to our guest, Kathy Wicklin, the director of Northwestern University Graduate Program in Genetic Counseling, who has helped us talk today about the role of the genetic counselor and some of the challenges that face our patients with genetic testing. You've been listening to Advances in Women's Health on ReachMD XM157. For questions or comments, complete program information, and on-demand podcasts, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening to Advances in Women's Health, sponsored in part by Eli Lilly, with your host, Dr. Lisa Mazzullo. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, please go to ReachMD.com forward slash Women's Health.